What is up, everybody? JT Sports here. Back to you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. This is the most excited that I have ever been to record an episode of the JT Sports Podcast. This is my fourth time recording this because I got too excited in my previous three attempts. I'm going to try to calm myself down. But college football is madness right now. We're going to be talking about does USC and UCLA leaving the Pac-12 for the Big Ten make sense? Is the Pac-12 done? What's next for programs such as Oregon, Washington, and Utah? We're also going to be talking a little bit about the NFL, why Jack Jones could be the New England Patriots' best-kept secret, and why the Cincinnati Bengals' 2021 season will never be replicated again by any other NFL team ever. If this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure that you follow me on all of my social media platforms. You can follow me on Instagram at JT Sports underscore and on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore. Lastly, if you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed to my YouTube channel, which is JT Sports. So according to reports out there, USC and UCLA are going to be leaving the Pac-12 conference for the Big Ten, and this can happen as soon as 2024. Now, I apologize in advance if I talk a little bit too fast in this segment, but I'm really excited. I am so excited to talk about this. I had to drop what I was doing right away. I was in the middle of finishing one of my college assignments for one of my classes and it's due at 11:59, but I had to put that on hold because this is way more important than college right now. College football is changing. If you are a old school college football fan, you've been watching this sport for 20, 30 plus years. You were watching back in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, early 2000s. You most likely are really upset right now about what's going on. You're looking at your phone screen, and you're looking like this, pulling your hair out, because the college football that you grew up with, that you knew and loved, has pretty much changed. This is a completely different era of college football. With the transfer portal, you have guys leaving left and right. It's a couple of guys. It's somebody that I went to high school with that has hit the transfer portal three times in the last two years, he just posted another picture at the FBS program. And I'm, I'm saying, bro, how many times are you going to transfer? You get what I'm saying? Pick a school and stay there. So you had the transfer portal. You had the NIL deal. The NIL deals, which are insane right now. And then now you have schools leaving for new conferences. And there's potential that we could end up having mega conferences in college football, we pretty much could have the AFC, NFC, in college football. It's crazy right now. And we knew that the Big Ten was eventually going to expand. Because you remember when Oklahoma and Texas, the news broke that they were going to be leaving the Big 12 for the SEC. We were wondering how the Big 12 was going to survive. And then they expand, they bring in Cincinnati, UCF, BYU, and Houston, and now they're in pretty good shape. But you look at the Pac-12 losing UCLA and USC, they're looking in really bad shape right now. They're in critical condition. If you guys ever play Mortal Kombat right now, they have to finish him right now. 
because the Pac-12 may look like it's about to be out and done for the count. And a lot of people who are upset about this move, they're asking a lot of questions. They're asking, JT, what about the geography? Because this doesn't make any sense. You have West Coast teams who are going to be having to travel all the way to the middle portion of the country to play schools like Ohio State and Michigan. How does this make any sense from a location standpoint? Well, my friend, let me tell you something. Geography doesn't matter anymore. You get what I'm saying? At this point, teams are now chasing that money. So when it comes to the kickoff times and what time the game's going to be played, they're probably going to make it more favorable for these Pac-12 schools. They're probably, instead of going to have 12 p.m. Eastern time kickoffs, they're probably going to have the games played a little bit more later on in the day, probably kicking off around 6 or 4 o'clock. I got to say Eastern time because I'm not from the central or west coast part of the country. I live in Florida, so we go off the east coast time. But... The Big Ten is going to make accommodations for these two Pac-12 schools that are going to be entering their their conference. So I'm not really too concerned about the kickoff times and how this makes sense geography-wise because it doesn't. You get what I'm saying? Geography is now out of the window. And for USC and UCLA, I mean, when it comes to traveling, you have private jets, man. You have airplanes, You can fly from West Coast to the middle portion of the country in a span of, what, four or five hours? First class? Even good? So, I don't really think that geography makes as big as a sense as people think that it's going to make when it comes to making this move. Because at the end of the day, when you're chasing money, you got to do what you got to do. Now, for the Big Ten, this benefits them because now they expand to the L.A. market. You expand to the state of California, one of the most influential states when it comes to that high school pipeline to college football. Now, if you're asking, okay, JT, is USC going to be able to compete in the Big Ten? Yes, they are. And if you don't think so, then I probably have to call you a hater. Because there's no way you're going to tell me with USC being right smack dab and LA with Lincoln Riley as their head coach that they're going to struggle to be able to compete with the Michigans and Ohio States of the world. They are in one of the most talented states for high school football in America. And they have easy access to it. You already seen how USC recruiting has taken off ever since Lincoln Riley became the head coach of the Trojans. And on top of that, they got a lot of money. Money is not a problem. And in this day and age with the NIL coming around, you got to have boosters and alumni that are able to dish out that money to get some of these top name recruits. So if you think that USC one bit is going to struggle in the Big Ten, I think you're sadly mistaken. And you just heard Ryan Day come out a couple of weeks ago, and he said that if Ohio State is going to be able to keep up in the NIL day, in the NIL era with some of these other programs, they're going to need at least $13 million a year. So for USC, they're not going to struggle in the Big Ten at all. Now, they may have some complications if they have to go on the road and play Ohio State and Michigan in mid-late October. Okay, because one thing about people who grow up in these warm weather states such as Cali and Florida, we hate playing in the cold weather. It is absolutely gruesome. I remember one time I played a game that was, what, in 40 degrees? 
You know what I had to do? I had to put some Vaseline on, had to thicken up, had to wear some long sleeves. It's awful if you are somebody who grew up playing in Florida and California weather all your life, and then you get the first taste of playing football in 2010-degree weather. It's terrible. And it's when you get tackled, it's like getting tackled on glass. I hate it. And I'm pretty sure a lot of these West Coast kids, they're going to hate it as well. But at the end of the day, you have to adjust. And a lot of these guys are going to end up playing on Sundays. And more times than not, you're going to be playing in cold weather games come October. So you might as well get used to it now. So for USC, I don't think they're going to have any problem when it comes to being able to compete in the Big Ten. I think they're going to be up there with Ohio State, with Michigan. I'm not worried about that. If anything, Michigan should be more concerned because USC is a powerhouse when it comes to recruiting. They don't even have to leave their city to get some of the best talent in America. It's right there in their backyard. Now, UCLA, on the other hand, okay, I kind of think that the only reason they're really a part of this is because USC said, hey, man, if I'm going to join the Big Ten, I got to bring my little brother with me. I'm not leaving unless I can bring little bro with me because I got to watch over him. So for UCLA, I kind of just think that it was kind of a package deal. If you're going to get USC, you had to bring a partner along with them. And I think that UCLA was that partner. Now, UCLA, I don't think they're going to be that great. I think they're going to kind of be a middle dweller in this conference And the reason for that is because, first of all, you have Chip Kelly as your head coach, which I love Chip Kelly. I think he's a really good X's and O's guy. But when you're trying to win championships in college football, it's about recruiting. And you have to be able to recruit at a very high level. And that's something that Chip Kelly hasn't really done a great job at at UCLA. So you wonder if UCLA joining the Big Ten is going to give their recruiting a little bit of a boost, but I don't really know. So for UCLA, I think they're probably going to be a middle-of-the-road team at best in the Big Ten. Maybe they have a couple of years when they pull off nine wins, maybe ten. But overall, I just think that for UCLA, I don't know if the recruiting is going to be there. Plus, you have to compete with... USC as well in the same city in the same state and the majority of those top-ranked California recruits are going to USC over UCLA so I don't think that UCLA is going to become the cream of the top in this conference and I really think that they just came along for the ride just because they knew that it was a lot of money to be earned in the Big Ten now From a basketball sense, even though I'm talking about college football, I think UCLA is going to be really good in the Big Ten. They have a really good, rich college basketball history, tradition. They have a rabid fan base when it comes to college basketball. So in that aspect, they're going to be really good. When it comes to the college football side of it, I don't really know. Now, maybe you can make the argument and say that, well, JT, with them joining the Big Ten, they probably are going to get more financial compensation, which is going to allow the athletic department to put more money into recruiting, which recruiting could end up being better. And yeah, it could. But at the same time, Chip Kelly isn't really known for his recruiting skills. As a matter of fact, Chip Kelly is one of those coaches that he gets players that aren't the highest ranked that fit his scheme, and then he tries to build around that. 
And plus, he also has used the transfer portal pretty hard ever since it came into effect. So he may just be in a situation where you're joining a powerhouse conference and for UCLA to be able to remain afloat in the middle of the pack, they got to be able to hit the transfer portal and utilize it hard. And I think he does do a pretty good job at doing that. So overall for the Big Ten, this is a win. You expand to the California market. You bring in USC, one of the biggest names, not only in college football, but in sports. That Trojans logo is recognizable worldwide. Everybody probably knows about the University of Southern California. Now, even though USC has been down for a couple of years, they haven't been down bad as Texas has. You get what I'm saying? Well, if Lincoln Riley has their head coach, they're going to be fine. I don't think they're going to struggle. I just think that many people are just trying to say that because they want to see USC fail. Because for some reason, we just hate the blue bloods of the sport. I guess we want to see Texas, Miami, and USC down for long. But let me tell you something. That's about to change. You're about to see these programs start to rise. Now, I don't know about Texas, but I definitely know that USC and Miami are on their way up. So let me know how you guys feel about USC and UCLA leaving the Pac-12 conference. Does it make sense to you? We're also going to be talking about this more later on on this episode. We're going to be talking about what's next for the Pac-12. Is it done? What's next for Oregon, Utah, Washington. So make sure that you guys are subscribed to the channel. You turn on post notifications. Or if you don't want to wait for that other segment to come out and you guys want to hear my thoughts on it now, make sure that you check out the JT Sports Podcast. A lot of you guys don't know this, but every video that's uploaded on the channel is available in audio format. You can listen to the full episode of the JT Sports Podcast way before I upload any of these segments on YouTube. All you got to do is go down to the description down below or go to the pinned comment section and you will see the links to the Apple Podcast or the Spotify Podcast or you can go to whichever podcast service you use to listen to podcasts type in jt sports podcast it should pop up make sure that you guys go ahead and check it out if you guys want to hear my other thoughts further before that segment drops on youtube rookie cornerback jack jones was one of the biggest standouts during minicamp for the new england patriots he was getting legitimate reps with the first team and he performed so well during minicamp for new england that he according to multiple reports out there has put himself right in the thick of the competition to be the other starting quarterback on the opposite side of malcolm butler and i think that jack jones could be the new england patriots best kept secret on defense this year We know that they lost J.C. Jackson and free agency to the L.A. Chargers. So we're wondering who's going to be that guy to step up and fill those shoes. Because Jalen Mills last season was a little bit up and down. You look at Jack Jones. He was drafted in the fourth round of this past year's NFL draft out of Arizona State. And he has great ball skills, phenomenal instincts. He is a phenomenal athlete. He was highly talented coming out of high school. He ran a 4-5-1 in this past year's NFL Combine. Quick feet, plays with good fluidity. And he is a very good press man-to-man corner. Now, you look at the size, and he's only 171 pounds at 5'11". You're saying, JT, he's kind of small. Isn't he to be a starting outside cornerback? Yes, he is. But you want to know the good thing? is that you can always put on some pounds. 
you can always gain weight. I remember my freshman year playing football, right? This was during summer. This was before we started fall camp and our coach was giving out pads. And it's funny because, you know, he was looking at a lot of us because, you know, the freshmen, we don't get to get our equipment first. So you had me and a lot of other freshmen trying to get in line, trying to get some of the best helmets because nobody wanted to have the duck helmet. Nobody wanted to have the Larry Fitzgerald. So he gets up to me. He looks at me. He says, oh, boy, man, some of you boys need to hit a weight room for real. He was like, you know what you need to do? You need to eat some peanut butter and do some push-ups. You just need to eat peanut butter 24-7 along with eating the weight room and doing push-ups every opportunity you get. So you know what I did? I got a lot of peanut butter. I ate it. I did push-ups. I was hitting the weight room. I went from 105 to 125 in the span of two to three months. So it's possible to put on weight in a very quick manner. It just really depends on your metabolism and how well you know your body. I'm pretty sure with the nutritionists that the New England Patriots have on their staff and in this franchise, that Jack Jones is going to have no problem of being able to get to at least 180, maybe 183, 185 pounds by the start of the season. He also talked about this during um, training camp. He said that, well, during mini camp, he said that he is looking to put on some more weight before the season starts. So if you are somebody who is a little bit turned off by his weight, that shouldn't really be a big issue. You can always put on some pounds because for him, one of the biggest flaws that he had in his game was the fact that he got overpowered by a lot of bigger physical wide receivers. Now, Bill Belichick may suck at drafting in the first round unless it's an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman, but he knows how to find late round gems. Outside of the first round, he drafts really well. And he knows how to find great value picks. J.C. Jackson was undrafted. Julian Edelman was a late round pick. Jacoby Myers, Malcolm Butler, all were undrafted. So I have a lot of confidence that Jack Jones is going to end up being really good for New England. Bill Belichick has a really good track record of guys with this kind of draft slot. And another thing when it comes to Jack Jones is that If he ends up starting on the outside, then you can move Jalen Mills to the safety spot. And then you can either have Jabril Peppers or Kyle Duggar play a little bit more inside the box, closer to the line of scrimmage. So I think if Jack Jones ends up performing well in training camp, as he has had so far during the course of this offseason, I think that New England's defense could get a huge boost. And me personally, I have a lot of confidence that Jack Jones is going to end up being really good. And I actually have him in my top 10 rankings of impact rookies going into the 2022 college football season. Well, NFL season, excuse me. So for New England, if you are a Patriots fan, you should be excited about Jack Jones. And you probably have a lot of confidence that he's going to end up being really good. I know some of you guys are going to say, man, JT, everybody looks good in tank tops and shorts. Okay, that is true. But when it comes to Bill Belichick finding late round steals, he's the best at it. It's why we don't give him so much flack at being unable to draft well in the first round. Unless it's an old lineman or a defensive lineman. So I think that Jack Jones is going to be the New England Patriots best kept secret. A lot of people are going to go in to 
the 2022 NFL season saying, okay, who is Jack Jones when they do their death chart analysis and they do their predictions and they're just going to assume that this guy's a scrub. He's just there because New England didn't have nobody better. And they're going to be really surprised at how well he plays. And when he ends up being one of the best rookie cornerbacks in the NFL this season, you're going to come back to this video and you're going to say, you know what, JT, this aged very well. Because Bill Belichick, man, he... He's always ahead. Even though it feels as if the Patriots are behind, you can never count out the Sith Lord that is Bill B. He always finds a way to adapt to the current state of the NFL. And with the loss of J.C. Jackson, I think that he looked at Jack Jones and said that, you know, this is somebody who has a similar skill set of J.C. Jackson. So let me know how you guys feel about Jack Jones. Am I overhyping him a little bit too much? Is he overrated? Is he going to end up being a disappointment during training camp? Let me know down in the comment section down below. I was on Twitter the other day, right? And somebody made a tweet that went semi-viral in the NFL community that said that the New York Giants are going to be the Cincinnati Bengals of the 2022 NFL season. And I laughed. And it's funny because people think what the Cincinnati Bengals did last season can be easily replicated. No, it cannot. And I guarantee you there will never be another NFL team to replicate what the Bengals did in 2021 ever again. You know, some things that occur in life are phenomenal. Just because I win the lottery doesn't mean... Everybody else is going to be able to win a lottery. Only 1% of people, maybe less than that, win the lottery. And only one team in the history of the NFL has ever been able to accomplish what the Bengals did last season. And that was Cincinnati. You're not going to find a team that's going to be able to make it to the Super Bowl with one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. You see... The difference between Cincinnati and the other teams who many people think can have the success that the Bengals had with terrible offensive line play is that the Bengals have Joe Burrow and those other teams don't have Joe Burrow. You see, Joe Burrow is different. And I've said this so many times, but I'm going to give the lecture again. Joe Burrow is cut from a different cloth. He's different. There aren't too many quarterbacks that are going to be able to go into their second season in the league and lead their team to the Super Bowl with one of the worst off the lines in the NFL. How many quarterbacks in the history of the NFL playoffs have been able to still lead their team to a playoff win despite being sacked 10 times? I'm waiting for an answer. You see, for Cincinnati last year, they were able to take advantage of favorable matchups in the playoffs. You played the Las Vegas Raiders, who didn't really have a great secondary. So no matter how many times you got put in third and long situations, you still were going to be able to convert because their secondary wasn't able to slow down the passing attack of Cincinnati. And their defense wasn't that great. So you faced the Las Vegas Raiders team that wasn't that great on defense. And then you played the Tennessee Titans in the divisional round of the playoffs, which also was a favorable matchup because their secondary wasn't that great. So 
Despite the fact that Cincinnati was put in so many third and long situations, they were still able to convert and get chunk yardage in that game despite giving up so many sacks. That was a matchup problem that Cincinnati was able to take advantage of. Same thing against the Kansas City Chiefs. They took advantage of a favorable matchup. Kansas City didn't have a great pass rush, didn't have a great secondary, and there was a large reason why they lost that game against Cincinnati. So we get to the Super Bowl, and on the final drive, when Cincinnati has one last opportunity of being able to win the championship, the bad offensive line play finally cost them. You see, what if Cincinnati would have played the Buffalo Bills, a team that had a really good secondary that would have been able to match up on paper against Cincinnati's talented group of wide receivers. You see, what Cincinnati did in 2021 will probably most likely never be replicated again. They had the perfect storm in a sense. And I'm not saying this to demean Cincinnati for what they did last season. I'm actually saying this to praise what Cincinnati did because what they accomplished last season is something that we most likely will never see again in this sport because the majority of teams that make it to the Super Bowl make it because for one, they have good offensive line play. You see, if you cannot hold your own up front more times than not, you're not making it no further than past the divisional round before you get smacked around because Almost every single team that enters the conference championship has a good offensive line. More times than not. So for anybody out there who thinks that the Giants or any other team can kind of have the season that Cincinnati had with a bad offensive line, it's really hard to see that happening. Now, if you want to say what team can be the Cinderella story of this season, I think that's a better way to word it. But to have the season that Cincinnati had with that bad off our offensive line, we most likely would never see it again. And I was talking to my guy, Juice Alert, because after that, he told me, with what Joe Burrow did this past season, there's no excuse for any rookie quarterback anymore, regardless of how bad their offensive line is. And I told him, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're judging something that is a rarity in the NFL. At the end of the day, for a young quarterback to be successful, you have to build a good team around him. And it starts with what he has up front. And I told him, I said that not every quarterback coming out is going to be Joe Burrow. Now, if there are more quarterbacks that come out and prove me wrong and are able to take their team to the Super Bowl despite having a terrible offensive line, then okay, that can become the new standard. But... We can't expect every team with a bad offensive line just because they have a good group of wide receivers to be able to pull off what Cincinnati did last year. It was kind of historical in a sense because imagine me telling you that Cincinnati going into the 2021 NFL season was going to win the Super Bowl. You know what you would have did? You would have laughed at me. You would have said, JT, you're crazy. But Cincinnati did it. They were able to take advantage of favorable matchups. You see, you have to always look at everything in context. And a lot of people aren't really looking at the context at what Cincinnati did last season. They just say, oh man, JT, 
Cincinnati went to the Super Bowl with a terrible offensive line. That means that now you can go to the Super Bowl with an offensive line that's not that great. You don't need to put that much money into it. If Cincinnati was able to pull off what they did last season again, they would have no reason to improve the offensive line. There is a reason why Cincinnati went out there and revamped the whole entire offensive line. I think that other than Jonah Williams, the Cincinnati Bengals have an entirely different group of starters walking into the season. They paid a lot of money during free agency to improve the offensive line and give Joe Burrow more protection. It's a reason for that. If they could have been able to replicate what they did last season, I guarantee you they would have kept the same offensive line and spent that money elsewhere, such as at corner. Maybe they would have used that money instead of on the offensive line on bringing in J.C. Jackson. Maybe trying to improve the interior of the defensive line. You see, we have to look at the context of things. We're so quick to hop on bandwagons. We're so quick to hop on trends that sometimes we just need to take a minute, take a deep breath, and think and contextualize everything that we just witnessed. Because what Cincinnati did last year was probably a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence. And the main reason was because they had Joe Brr at quarterback. There's no way you're going to tell me Daniel Jones is going to just all of a sudden go from being a borderline bust to being a top five, top three quarterback in the league and being able to carry his offense despite not having a great offensive line like Joe Burrow was. If the New York Giants make it to the Super Bowl this year, which I highly doubt, it will be because one, their offensive line was pretty good. Two, Daniel Jones stopped turning the football over. And three, Daniel Jones became a top five quarterback. You see, so many people think just because one person does it, everybody else can do it. And everybody has to understand that everybody's role in life is different. It's always things that one person may be able to do that you may not be able to do. Just because Chris Johnson runs a 4-2 doesn't mean I can go out there and run a 4-2. Just because DK Metcalf is what? At less than 5% body fat doesn't mean that I can ever get below 5% body fat. So we have to stop looking at other people's success and thinking that it's easy replicable. Because it's not. And I understand that the NFL is a copycat league. But certain things cannot be replicated in this sport. And if you think that there's going to be a team that can make it to the Super Bowl with a bad offensive line... I doubt it. So for me, I view the Cincinnati Bengals 2021 season as a phenomenon. I don't think it will ever happen again. And I would love for a team to prove me wrong. I really would. But more times than not, most teams that have bad off the line play, they make it into the postseason for one of two reasons. One, their division was pretty weak and they were able to overcome not having a tough division such as what Houston was able to do on a couple of occasions. And two, they don't really make it no further than the divisional round. Because eventually, the deeper you get into the postseason, the better offensive line play and defensive line play that you're going to find. Look at who the Bengals played in the AFC Championship game last year. They played the Kansas City Chiefs who had one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, but they didn't have to pass rush and they didn't have the secondary to slow down Cincinnati's offense. 
Look at the NFC Championship game. You had the 49ers and the Rams. Both of those two teams had top 10 offensive lines. If you want to go back further, okay, think about the Buccaneers. Had one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. If you go back to the last 10 conference championship games for both the AFC and NFC conferences, almost every single team is going to have a good offensive line. So if you cannot win up front, more times than not, you're not going to be able to win a championship because that's one of the key formulas to being able to have success in this league. It's been proven time in and time out. So for Cincinnati, I think that we just need to admire what the fact they did last season and just appreciate it because what they did is probably never going to be seen ever again. As I mentioned earlier, It's a reason why Cincinnati revamped the offensive line and put a lot of money into it. Because if they could have looked at it how a lot of people are looking at it on Twitter and say, you know what, if we made it to the Super Bowl with a bad offensive line last season, we can do it again. It's a reason why they paid for Lyle Collins, Alex Kappa. So let me know how you guys feel about Cincinnati's 2021 season. Do you guys disagree with me? Do you guys think that there is a good possibility that another team can pull off what Cincinnati did last season and make it to the Super Bowl with a bad offensive line? Let me know down in the comment section down below. With USC and UCLA on their way out of the Pac-12, headed for the Big Ten Conference, what's next for the Pac-12? Is it done? Is it over with? What's next for Oregon, Washington, in Utah, because there are some rumors circulating around that the Big 12 is looking into potentially expanding their conference further and adding maybe an Arizona or Arizona State. What about Oregon and Washington? Is there a chance that they end up following in UCLA and UC, USC's footsteps and they depart for the Big 10 as well? Because, listen... At this point, the Pac-12 is pretty much a done deal. Unless they're able to acquire some other teams in Boise State and Nevada, I'm sorry to you guys watching this, but you're not enough to sustain the Pac-12 conference. You see, the Pac-12 has suffered from poor leadership and the fact that simply the football inside this conference has declined over the last couple of seasons. And over the last couple of years, it's been at its worst that we've ever seen out of this conference. So for Oregon and Washington, I definitely think that there's a good chance that they also join the Big Ten. And there's no reason why the Big Ten wouldn't accept either one of those schools. You look at Oregon, they have a really good fan base. And although they are located in Oregon, so many people so some people are going to say, JT, why would the Big Ten want to add Oregon and Washington? Like, what's in Washington? What's in Oregon? I understand that. But you also got to look at how much money those schools bring in. That's still a good amount of revenue. And those two schools also better the Big Ten. I can understand if you were trying to make an argument for Colorado getting into the Big Ten. Okay, Colorado doesn't really benefit or add anything to the Big Ten. But in terms of Oregon and Washington, yeah, they may not be in places that you can capitalize off when it comes to marketing and branding, but they do better your conference. So for the Pac-12, the only way I can see this conference surviving 
It's if they merge with another conference. Maybe they come to agreement with the Big 12 or the Big 10. But at this point, it's kind of hard to keep the Pac-12 sustainable. And with both UCLA and USC on their way out, you know, that takes a big blow to the overall strength of the conference. A conference that wasn't even all that great to begin with. And then you look at Arizona State and Arizona, those are teams that you can look at and pretty much say they're a perfect fit for the new Big 12. Because with the addition of Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, and BYU, you have programs that have a lot of upside, a lot of potential with where they're located at and also how recruiting could improve if they were to join a legitimate Power 5 conference. Meanwhile, you look at Arizona and Arizona State, both of those two programs have been kind of viewed as sleeper programs in a sense because of how good the recruiting is in that area. And plus the fact that they're still on the West Coast, so they still have that pipeline to California. All it really takes for those schools to start trending upwards is finding the right head coach. Now for Arizona State, they currently have that situation with Herm Edwards and the investigation and whatnot for, you know, kind of breaking the rules. But that is a program that a lot of people view as kind of a sleeper program. You bring in the right head coach there, who knows how to recruit, who knows the area geographically on the West Coast, Arizona State could potentially blossom in the Big 12. But that's all depending on if they find the right head coach. But pretty much, looking at the Big 12, man, I think this is a conference that definitely has potential to end up being really good. But when you look at the Pac-12 conference, this is pretty much the last that we may see of the Pac-12 for the near future because I mean it doesn't look good it doesn't look pretty and I understand that the Pac-12 commissioner currently right now tried to do everything he could to accommodate USC but it just wasn't enough and with them and the Bruins already out the door it's only a matter of time before Oregon and Washington they look back and they say okay they're out what's next for us and I think for Oregon and Washington, the logical decision is to move to the Big Ten. And Oregon definitely can sustain in the Big Ten if you're looking at, you know, how competitive they can be. They defeated Ohio State last year, and they already showed that they are really good when it comes to recruiting nationally from that area, despite the fact that Oregon doesn't really produce a lot of great talent out of high school and state. So they have to recruit on a more national scale. So for Oregon... I think they can be pretty good in the Big Ten. You look at Washington. Washington is a program that has been pretty good over the past decade, even though they are in a little bit of some down years. They brought in a new head coach, Jimmy Lake. I was just a little bit taken back by how bad things went and how quickly the program went down the drain with him as the head coach. But their new head coach that they have in place is still enough time to save Washington before it ends up becoming a dumpster fire. So if you are the Big Ten, there definitely is no reason why you shouldn't take both the Huskies and the Oregon Ducks. Plus, Oregon has, you know, these cool uniforms that everybody loves to see. I definitely think that Oregon versus Ohio State, Oregon versus Penn State, Oregon versus Michigan are games that people would like to see. And even Washington versus Michigan. 
Washington versus Ohio State, that can be a pretty intriguing matchup. You see a lot of people who say that, you know, the Big Ten may not take Oregon and Washington because of their location. They're not really marketable places. I mean, I think that's true to an extent, but at the end of the day, if you make the conference better, I really think that's all that matters. And they bring in good amount of revenue to sustain in the Big Ten and bring in more money. But let's say the Big Ten does want to take Oregon or Washington. Then what's next? Do they leave for the Big 12? And what about Utah? I mean, Utah is really interesting because you wonder if the Big Ten will take Utah. And Utah has been a pretty consistent program over the last 10 years. Now, they haven't made it to a college football playoff appearance like Washington and Oregon have. But this is a program that definitely looks like they're trending upwards under Kyle Whittingham as their head coach. So maybe Utah ends up joining the Big 12. Maybe Oregon and Washington end up going there if they can't get accepted into the Big 10. But maybe the ACC comes along and they try to get into this game of expanding their conference. Because for the ACC, they're potentially a conference that people are looking at that can end up having teams stolen from them, just like how the SEC came in and took away Texas and Oklahoma from the Big 12. There's a strong possibility that maybe Miami, FSU, and Clemson can be plucked away from either the Big Ten or the SEC. So if the ACC isn't careful and they don't try to get ahead of this situation and try to build their own mega conference and try to expand, maybe we see the ACC start to fall apart in a sense. And if you take away Miami and FSU away from the ACC, things look completely different. Completely different. I know that FSU and Miami aren't powerhouses, but there aren't really too many powerhouse programs in the ACC at this point outside of Clemson. And Miami, with Mario Cristobal there, they're going to get things rolling. We don't really know what's going to happen with FSU. But now you take away Miami and Florida State from the ACC, you pretty much lose you know, the marketing that you could have had in the state of Florida. Pretty much after that, who's going to be the ACC team in Florida? That's going to be tough. And then if you let them walk to the Big Ten or the SEC, that's a big advantage because now the SEC now has three of the major Florida schools. You're going to have Florida, Florida State, and then Miami? Come on. And then what if they leave for the Big 12? So for the ACC, I think that this is a really good opportunity that if they want to get involved in trying to assemble their own power conference in a sense, and they don't want to get left behind, and they don't want to risk losing no teams to other conferences, I think that maybe they should try to look into getting one of these programs to join them. But ultimately, where it looks like college football is heading is that it looks as if we're going to have Another version of the NFL. You're going to have the Big Ten and the SEC who pretty much are going to serve as the AFC and the NFC. Then you're going to have the Big 12. And I'm not sleeping on the Big 12. I definitely think that UCF, Houston, BYU, Cincinnati all could become really good programs inside of that conference. Especially UCF considering the fact that they have, what, the largest campus in America They have one of the largest alumni bases in America as well. So the Big 12 potentially is a conference that could become pretty good. Now, could they become as good as the Big 10 or the SEC? I kind of doubt it because you're going to have to need good depth. But you definitely have a lot of confidence in the kind of schools that they acquired. 
They acquired schools that have a lot of upside. So for the Pac-12, man, I think it's kind of done. It really is. What, what's going to happen with Washington State? Does Washington State end up joining the Mountain West? Because I couldn't see the Big 12 having any interest in them and the Cougs. So do they end up joining the Mountain West? Do they end up becoming a G5 program? What about Oregon State? Who takes Oregon State? If Oregon leaves, is Oregon State going to be the team that they travel with? Are they going to bring their little brother along? Because we've seen other schools who have made these jumps to different conferences end up bringing along their rival. Kind of as if if it's a package deal. So for Oregon State, are they attractive enough to join whatever conference that Oregon joins? Or do they end up going down the level to the G5? And Oregon State is kind of in the worst situation compared to Oregon because they are located in the same state, but they're not bringing in the kind of revenue that Oregon brings in. So the Pac-12 right now, it's not looking good. This conference is on life support. And there's not really any team that the Pac-12 can look to add that can kind of bring some life back into it. I mean, Fresno State, I don't really think so. San Diego State, Boise State. I mean, Boise State could be interesting, but I don't think that's enough. And as a matter of fact, if I'm Boise State, I'm trying to apply to get into either the Big 12 or the Big 10, my doggone self. And Boise State has been a pretty respectable program over the last decade. So if I'm Boise State, I'm not even looking at the Pac-12. If I'm going to up and jump and leave, I'm going to try to get into one of the big boy conferences. So for the Pac-12, I mean, there's not really too many teams that people can suggest that you can say, oh, yeah, JT, the Pac-12 gets this school and they get this school, then they should be able to stay afloat because nobody wants to join a sinking ship. And if you are a school that leaves your current conference for the Pac-12, you're pretty much joining a boat that pretty much has done all but sunk at this moment. I mean, they're pretty much the Titanic. They hit the iceberg, and you already have people that's already abandoning ship, getting on their lifeboats to different conferences because the main reason for these moves is because of financing. It's because of the money. So what can the Pac-12 offer financially that these other conferences can't. Because the Big Ten, the SEC, they're doing nothing but racking up the checks, baby. They're doing nothing but backing up Brinks trucks to the bank. And if I'm one of these lower tier programs like a Boise or Fresno State that does have somewhat of potential to being able to be a mid-tier contender at a big-tier conference... I'm not looking at Pac-12. And as a matter of fact, that could be a big mistake. Why would you join a conference that just lost two of their heavy hitters and potentially could lose more? The Big 12 got fortunate enough that they were able to get Cincinnati, BYU, Houston, and UCF. Because all four of those schools are located in great areas for football, especially UCF being all around the amusement parks, theme parks. There's going to be a lot of NIL opportunities. Houston is located in Texas. We know how big football is in Texas. They got no problem when it comes to this, not the money, when it comes to keeping football going down there. We know that good and well. And they're right in Houston. Houston is one of the best cities in the state of Texas. Everybody that I talk to 
that lives in Florida always talks about potentially moving to Houston. People love Houston for some reason. And even BYU. BYU has a really big fan base, and they can generate a good amount of revenue as well. And their fans travel pretty well also. And Cincinnati, Cincinnati just made it to the college football playoffs. And it got Luke Fickle. So for the Pac-12, for those of you guys who are saying that they need to expand and try to bring some other teams, I mean, what teams could they possibly bring that would, one, be willing to join that conference that's already sinking, and two, could they really end up becoming good enough to keep that conference afloat? Could they end up being a draw? I mean, I think it's going to be pretty hard to sell people on wanting to tune in to Pac-12 football to want to watch Boise State play. And I love watching Boise State play because they have the incredible blue turf. But other than that, other than that what's the appeal? You see, when you're expanding, you want to bring in teams that people want to watch. People in Idaho probably love watching Boise State. But if somebody in Georgia or Virginia... Or Alabama going to want to tune in to Pac-12 football to really watch Boise State play against San Diego State? Or San Jose State? Because those are kind of teams that people are throwing out there that could join the Pac-12. I mean, if we're throwing out San Jose State, we might as well just go ahead and disband the Pac-12 now. You feel me? So, I think the Pac-12 is done. It really is. And I think that with Oregon and Washington and Utah, they're probably already flirting with other conferences. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see Oregon and Washington depart for the Big Ten as well. The Big Ten is probably saying, you know what? We already allowed USC and UCLA in. They're probably on the phone with USC and UCLA saying, hey, you think Oregon would be willing to join you guys? Heck yeah. Because at this point, it looks as if it's a race to see which conference can get the 20 teams first. So you, you add USC, UCLA, and then you go ahead and add Oregon and Washington. You just added four more teams. That gives you one more step closer to having a super conference at this point. And you wonder, what about the SEC? Because at this point, geography does not matter. What if the SEC wants to go ahead and scoop up Oregon or scoop up Utah or scoop up Washington? Because at this point, nothing's off the table College football has been so unpredictable with the way NIL has been going, with the way that the college football playoff expansion talks are going. And that's another thing, right? If you expand the college football playoffs and you have these mega conferences, aren't you going to have no choice but to have divisions? Because if you have, what, 20 teams and one conference, aren't you going to have to split it up? Because isn't it kind of going to be a little bit of controversial to try to figure out who's going to have the two best records and who's good enough to get to the conference championship game? Aren't you going to have to break it up? And then you break it up into four divisions and then you end up having a interconference playoffs and then the winner ends up clinching the spot in the college football playoffs? Like, could we potentially see, you know how they have the conference tournaments for every conference in basketball and the winner automatically gets a bid in the NCAA tournament? Could we be going that route? Could we potentially see that in college football? Could we see the SEC, the Big Ten, expand to the point that they get so big that they have to divide their conference up by five teams 
and then have a interconference playoffs to decide who their champion is and who represents their conference in the college football playoffs. Because the college football playoffs is going to expand. It's not going to stay at four teams, no matter if you agree with it expanding or if you disagree with it expanding. It's going to happen. It's only a matter of time. Because with the way these conferences are now starting to get built, you really can't sustain a four-team model. And for those of you guys who love the history and the pageantry and the traditions of college football, I feel sorry for you because the college football that you grew up with is of no longer. This is a new age of college football. It's pretty much semi-pro. And I was telling my friend this a couple of months ago. and He was like, man, college football is always going to be college football. And I was telling him, all right. I mean, at this point, we might as well call it the NFL 2.0. Because the reason why so many people are so appealed to college football is because it's not the NFL. It's different. People love the bowl games. People love the rivalry games. In the NFL, you watch the NFL for the teams that you get attached to. But some people actually watch college football for the rivalries. And it's kind of taking it away from, you know, what people fell in love with the sport with. So another thing is this. How do you keep some of these rivalry games? Because with all of this expansion, there are going to be some rivalries that end up getting rid of because you have teams leaving for other conferences. What about Oregon and Oregon State? That's a big rivalry. That's an in-state rivalry. Are we going to have that same rivalry every single year despite the fact that they're in different conferences? And another thing is, what about how these conference models are going to handle, you know, out-of-conference games. Is there even a point of having out-of-conference games at this point? Because if you have a stacked mega-conference with 20, maybe 30 teams, then, I mean, what's the point of being able to play out-of-conference? You might as well just play in-conference because all the talent's there. So, you know, I am excited about the future of college football because I'm not a traditionalist. I haven't watched football or college football back in the 80s, 90s, and the early 2000s. I've been watching college football pretty much from 2011 and up, so I'm pretty much part of the college football era. I'm part of this new era of college football fans. So for me, you know, I'm really excited about where the sport is heading just because I love chaos. But at the same time, there definitely is some problems that are going to occur But college football is going to look extremely different. And the large reason why people love college football is because it's different from the NFL. And it looks as if the next couple of years is going to be pretty similar to the NFL. The only difference is that on the field, when the games are played, you're still going to be watching college football. You're still going to be watching Oregon be Oregon. You're still going to be watching Ohio State be Ohio State. It's just that the model of the sport is just going to be completely different. It's not going to be ran the same way it has been ran in the past. And another thing that I almost forgot about, I've been trying to think about it is, what about these big name bowl games? You know, what happens to the Rose Bowl, the Orange Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, the Little Cheeses Bowl? I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing about the Little Cheeses Bowl. Don't kill me in the comment section. It was just a joke. It was just a joke. But I saw somebody propose a very good idea earlier. On the Bleach Report app, he said that what if these conference championship games end up being kind of represented by the bowl? So say, for example, right, 
Let's say you have the SEC championship game. What if the SEC championship game ends up being the Cotton Bowl? You can call it the Cotton Bowl SEC championship. Or the ACC championship game being the, what, the PlayStation Cotton Bowl ACC championship or something like that. Like, what's going to happen to these bowl tie-ins? What's going to happen to the Rose Bowl? Because for a while, the Rose Bowl always was featuring the winner of the Pac-12 championship and the winner of the Big Ten championship unless one of those respective schools went to the college football playoffs. So what's going to happen to these bowl tie-ins? Are these bowls now going to start getting a little bit more involved when it comes to the conference championships? Are they going to end up being played there at those venues? Like, there's so many questions. So many questions. But it's crazy about what's going on in college football right now. But I appreciate you guys for listening to me ramble on about the state of college football. I'm really excited. I'm sorry if I talked a little bit too fast, man. This is a pretty long episode, but make sure that you guys check out the JT Sports Podcast, available on all podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from, the JT Sports Podcast is available.